I'm Weird. Welcome to Islington Mill is Queer, a podcast series dedicated to chronicling the history and interviewing the individuals who shape the history of one of Great Britain's most beloved artistic centres, Salford's Islington Mill. This is episode 10 of Islington Mill is Queer. Uh, We've been doing this podcast for a year now, and it's gone really well. But we have a big announcement to make. This is actually going to be the final episode of Islington Mill is Queer. But fear not, that doesn't mean that all podcasts are ending. We're going to be bringing you a monthly podcast from Islington Mill still. But we've decided to open up the remit of the podcast from now on so there will be a little rebranding of the podcast series as of next month but for this month we are bringing the Islington Mill is Queer series to a nice round little completion at episode number 10. And who have we got for interview number 10 of Islington Mill is Queer? Well I've been going to the studio in Islington Mill on the fourth floor every day, almost every day, for well over a year now. And every time I walk down that corridor towards the studio, I pass a sign on the right-hand side for a thing that says Chewing the Cud. And above that is a lovely little old-school-looking light box sign that says On Air. So when it's red, you know that there's somebody in there recording something. Now, it turns out that that studio is rented to LGBTV who are a broadcast company who make content for various different broadcasters, mostly in a news context, but they also do some, um, they've started to develop some more fictional work. And for the last episode of Islington Mill is Queer, it just seemed perfect to me to speak to a company who operates from Islington Mill, whose central remit is queerness and the representation of and discussion of queer issues in a broader, more national context. Little did I know, however, that that studio that I pass almost every day on the fourth floor is not the only studio that LGBTV hire out and use in Islington Mill. So I arranged to speak to Dean and Adrian, the two of the founders and the core production staff of LGBTV for the interview, and I was asked to go to their other studio, which is on the second floor, to be amazed by the control room that they've built in there to operate everything they've got in the studio on the fourth floor. It's an incredible operation, and I was really delighted to open that door and walk into something that felt a bit like something out of the Terminator, I'm not going to lie, with like loads of gorgeous glowing LED lights and screens and things everywhere, and microphone headsets, and, and lots of professional broadcast equipment and I'm saying that from somebody who's so used to working on lo-fi with no budget it was a bit of a revelation to walk into both of their studios actually and see what was going on in there and see the level of professionalism that they have achieved with LGBTV. Now I will say that with the various different machines humming in there and the processing that was going on of all the different equipment and the fans and all the whirring and humming, that this interview inhabits a very different sound world to what you might be used to hearing of the previous Islington Mill is Queer interviews that were all conducted on the fourth floor studio. This one has got, um, 
I don't know how to describe it, but it definitely inhabits its own sound world. But it's really nice because it just, it's machines doing what machines do. And so, here for your aural delectation is interview number 10, the final interview in the Islington Mill is Queer series. An interview with Adrian and Dean of LGBTV. Guys, welcome to the Islington Mill is Queer podcast. Thank you. Introduce yourselves and tell me what you do before we get to the first traditional question for the podcast. Uh, I'm Adrian. My primary responsibilities in LGBTV are, uh, I would say, editing. That's, that's my passion. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do a lot of, lot of the other work as, as is needed. And my name's Dean Ruffley and I am the chief engineer at LGBTV. So I take care of all the knobs, wires and switches to make sure that they all work. Okay. And how would you describe LGBTV itself? Now, mm-hmm. LGBTV is, is very different to what it was when we first conceived of the idea in 2013. Now, uh, because of our presence here uh, at the mill, uh, it's enabled us to have uh, two uh, studios, one on the second floor, one on the fourth floor. Okay. The one on the fourth floor is a fully operational five camera, high definition uh, television studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is linked via lots of cables down to the second floor uh, to Studio 209, uh, which used to be our production office, but is now a production office and a, a, a gallery. Which, so we can see everything which is going on on the fourth floor. So we control everything from down here up onto the fourth floor. So it's a, it's a so they're connected. They're connected. Yes. They're connected by miles and miles of cable. Yes, uh, and, and sometimes string and yes, and, and sometimes never, never the twain shall meet. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but no, we can, we can control everything in the in the studio. We can move the cameras around. We can, from this studio, from this we're studio full disclosure, we're in Studio 209 for the yeah. listeners, but we're talking about Studio 405, five. Four five, which yeah. is on the fourth floor, so you can control everything up there Absolutely. from down here. Yeah. Lighting, um, microphone, comms, we've got full talkback so we can talk to the presenters in earpieces, Excellent. Um, exactly as you would have in yeah. a BBC television studio. Yeah. Well, I will ask you about how you came to have two studios and the work that went into that, but first I'm going to hit you with the traditional question that I always ask guests on Islington Mill is queer. How did you discover Islington Mill? How did you come to be here? Well, we, we decided that we needed to find some space um, initially to work as a production office um, and I think Dean will probably tell you a little bit about the, the origins of LGBTV in a while um, and we went around most of Manchester looking for suitable studio space um, and you found Islington Mill, really, didn't you, in the first place? Yeah. Um, I, I read about it on different social media platforms and things like that. And uh, we came and uh, we saw uh, the people here. Um, and we, we didn't really think uh, much about it because there was a big waiting list for this place. It's a very popular place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we thought, you know, this this place could really work for us. This is a really nice environment. We love the building. Mm. We love uh, the feel of the place. And it's, it's, it's that sort of feeling. When, you, when you're looking for a home 
and you know the sort of like say mm, no, it's not really for me or you just say you know, I love it yeah and it was that I love it moment mm. from when we got in we said oh, yeah but it was a wish you know, yeah it, it was it was a dream that we thought well maybe there's a, there's a big waiting list so when was it that you actually moved in well we were trying to work this out yeah. uh, just before you came we we, we reckon it was around about spring 2016, 2016. yeah yeah 2016 yeah. Mm. Uh, and I was it, going to say five years ago just there, but actually it's six. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, and initially, as uh, as Adrian said, it was just a production office because um, LGBTV was originally conceived uh, back in 2013. Um, and one of the original uh, directors? directors, I suppose mm. you could say, although we're not officially a limited company okay. um, we're just uh, you know uh, originally it was just a, a group of enthusiasts I have a uh, uh, a lot of experience in broadcast television uh, I've worked in broadcast television for over 30 years um, and I was in the car with a friend of mine um, he had a lot of experience uh, with uh, gay men sexual health diversity mm -hmm very very knowledgeable about about all that sort of thing uh, much more so than I, than I was and we were just talking about just the media in general and he said you know you know why why don't we do things ourselves you know there's a lots of good stories out there mm. which are just not being told because it's it's not really newsworthy on mainstream media uh, and, I, and I thought well <laughs> I've got the experience I had a, a little bit of you know, technical kit. Uh, so I thought, yes, but we're going to need a few more people on board because back in 2013, it wasn't quite as portable as it is now mm -hmm. with just iPhones and things like that. You know, yeah. we still had relatively big cameras, and we, you know, I, I, I thought if, if we were going to do it, we're going to do it right to a broadcast quality. Mm -hmm. um, call that professional pride. I don't know, but that's the way we wanted to, to, to go, to give it some sort of credibility. So I thought, right, we need some good people on board. Adrian said, yeah, he's in. So <laughs> Adrian on board. Then we got a lot of sorts of volunteers joining. And initially it was just doing news reports about things that were happening in and around our area. Or occasionally, if it, if it was newsworthy enough, you know, we'd travel down south or up north or whatever. So, so an example of something that we covered was when the mural was painted on the side of the Molly House. Yes. Which had, you know, Alan Turing and people like that on it. Um, and we thought that was actually a, a really newsworthy thing. It was quite an important thing for the village. Mm -hmm. um, but wasn't the sort of story that would be covered on, on any of the, the, the local yeah. news channels. Yeah. Um, so, that, I mean, that was an example of one of the, one of the, the early stories that we picked up okay. uh, and tried to tell. So we interviewed the, uh, the artists and, and we looked at the, the competition that had gone into... Um, designing the mural mm -hmm. um, and made just a little two-minute piece that we put out on our social media mm -hmm. um, and we did lots of those little tiny stories right we? okay did you have a studio at this point no no no, no. all this was done from my bedroom his bedroom <laughs> my, my, my room mm -hmm. um, and that was back in the days of, of uh, videotape mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, uh, Recording on on uh, 
don't don't cats. say don't say one inch real to real tape recorders. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going that far back. Yeah. Well, that's when I did start. But yeah. <laughs> to be fair, but recording on 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 media cards wasn't really a, a, a an affordable thing mm. at that point uh, for us for us a small organisation. Um, so, but we were using broadcast equipment, so we were still using digital tape. So it, it, it was, you know, it was fragmented. So we, we, th we thought, you know, what we really need is a base where people can come, drop in, do their little bit, record a little bit of voiceover, do a little bit of editing. And that's really all it was mm -hmm. initially, wasn't it? it was just yeah, and, and somewhere where ideas could come together because yeah. If you're working in isolation, you don't tend to be able to bounce off each other. Yeah. Um, and this was before of Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> Not yeah. this sort of thing. Or computers. <laughs> and we did have computers. Electricity. Yeah. <laughs> so that's when we first got uh, Studio 209. It was basically just an office with a, an edit machine and a couple of computers. That's that, where we're sat right now. That's where we're sat yeah. right now. Mm -hmm. And how, how did it progress from there? Because it's not just an office right now. No. Uh, well, if I could describe, well, I could describe it now. It's 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 a production office, so we can still do the things that we want to do. We've got a full edit suite, so we can do all our editing like we did before. But now we've turned one side of the studio into uh, what's termed a gallery. You sometimes see these on TV. It's the control room uh, from which uh, any studio production is uh, directed from. So you can see all cameras, all inputs coming in from external sources, all audio, and it controls absolutely everything. And this controls everything upstairs. So it's, it's down here we've got a bank of monitors mm -hmm. and control, and it's, it's all very high tech and everything. Um, uh, but at that uh, that came about as serendipitously, didn't it, really? Yeah. Because uh, a friend of mine who was uh, a radio guy wanted to do a, a, a video podcast. And he, he just really asked for our uh, input, technical input, really. Mm -hmm. um, so we gave him technical input. And then he said, oh, is there any chance we could... Do you know anywhere we could do it? So I said, well, I don't really... We haven't got the room here but oh, there might be a little bit of space on the fifth floor. Mm. <laughs> so we started doing this podcast on the fifth floor with a number of different, uh, just, just USB cameras. It was a very low key thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were just really helping him out. And, um, and then it's, this, this was a weekly thing, so we had to drag all the equipment. All of the equipment up mm -hmm. five floors. Wow. Um, four four <laughs> floors from here. And he, mm -hmm. um, bring it all back down again at the end of the night. Mm -hmm. And this is lights and, and yeah. you know, not just just cameras, it's lights yeah. and cameras and monitors and, you know, the um, edit desk. Uh, yeah. You know, vision, vision, and we took over a full corner yeah. <laughs> of the fifth floor. Mm -hmm. um, made, just, it look, made it look pretty. It, lo it, yeah. it looked like a, a big production by the end of it because that's the one thing, if you, if you get anyone from TV from broadcast TV involved in a what you think is going to be a sort of like a, a domestic project it'll never turn into a domestic project mm -hmm. it'll turn into a, a fully fledged yeah, television program, television program yeah. because it's sort of in your DNA mm -hmm. uh, to, to do it at that level uh, and it did really well uh, and then we got told not to um, uh, that, that we had to move out of the fifth floor because of all the reno renovations which, are, which, as you know, are, have, have been taking place. Which might have been the end of it, but by that point it had been syndicated to 
uh, half a dozen or so local television channels. <clears throat> so can I ask who was this program for, and is it still available for people who are interested and want to go watch it? Yes. Yes, it's a it's a program called Chewing the Cut, and the program was a basically it started off as just uh, three people just sat down chatting about what's happened during the week, what they've done, what's in the news from a, a an LGBT. Uh, very light-hearted, very camp, very silly. Lots of innuendo. Uh, yeah. Very, yeah. yeah just so, but, as I always say, you know, there's some serious points, mm -hmm. and in order to get over the serious points, you you, you have to have a little bit of comedy, you know, mm. with, to, you know, feed people. It's, quite, it's like the one show, you know, they'll always bookend a serious piece with a couple yeah. of funny pieces. Yeah, uh, if you want people to, you know, to have brand, you've got to give them a little bit of sugar type. Yeah. That was mm -hmm. the idea. Um, now... As, as Adrian said, that, that could have ended right there. Um, but we thought... Well, we had a commitment to, to all these channels. Mm. It goes out in, in, in Brighton and Belfast and, and a, you know, Newcastle. A, string, a string of other places. What is the channel that people in Greater Manchester can see it on? You can't. You can't. Uh, that's, the, that's, the, that's the thing. The only way you can see it on Greater, in Greater Manchester it, uh, is if it's on YouTube. Okay. Or if you subscribe to Pride Media. Which is a an international uh, organisation, and you can you can see it there. But live, uh, well, got it's, it's recorded, but um, for it to go out actually on TV, there's there's uh, we can't see it in Greater Manchester. We did try for Greater Manchester, mm. but there's a story behind that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> in that the way that local TV is developed in Greater Manchester. Um, and how it, it, it hasn't really been successful on a local level. Uh, but that's a completely different yeah. story. Interesting, but though. It yeah. is, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Belfast, uh, Newcastle uh, and Brighton, you know, have been really supportive on, yeah. uh, on that front. Um, Presumably, then, the topics on Chewing the Cut are not... Well, are, are, are they specifically Manchester-focused? No. 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 Okay. I, mean, I mean, there is inevitably a skew to, to, to Manchester because it's easier to get local guests and people like that. So, so yes, sometimes it probably feels a little bit more Mancunian than it does uh, you know, from Northern mm -hmm. Ireland. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but no, I mean, the topics are very broad. Yeah. And it will be a silly story that we've seen on the news about... Uh, unusual things that uh, an A and E department have found up people's bottoms. Yeah, <laughs> okay. it's that level of, mm -hmm. of funny. So it doesn't. I mean, that doesn't relate to Manchester. And then it'll go from that to you know something really uh, encouraging about some sports person who's come out mm -hmm. uh, publicly. Mm -hmm. um, but that program in itself has has, has developed over, over the uh, over the years that we, we've done it. Um, and that was out of necessity as well, because of lockdown. Um, initially, well, you know, you jump, you've jumped too far forward here. Have I? No. <laughs> so I was thinking that we were upstairs. From, yeah. Oh yes, we were upstairs. We lost the access to upstairs, yes, so yeah. we had to do something about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can I just ask before we go on? When you say you were upstairs, like for the listenership who've never been to Islington Mill, the fifth floor is a very raw space with mm -hmm. bare brickwork yep. and beams. Lots of pigeon crap everywhere because yeah. pigeons are living up there. Had you guys built like a studio? 
Effe- effectively, effectively, yes. yes. Like yeah. you weren't looking at the brick wall. Yes, we were. Yeah. Look, we were using that as part oh, yeah. of the set. Yeah. Okay. We just we just lit, just lit it. it. Yes. Ah. In sort of like a purple wash. Yeah. Put some desks in there. Yeah. And put people behind the desks and they we'll dress put, dress the set a little dress bit. Dress the set a little yeah. bit. Yeah. So. so you lost access to that. That's why I'm interested and why I asked that as well yeah. because you've got fully functioning studios here. Yeah. But to me, the fifth floor would never really be able to facilitate that because it's so. It was. It's gotten renovated now, but it was yeah. so leaky yeah. and mm. pigeony <laughs> and stuff. Which so was one of the reasons that we couldn't leave equipment in there each week, and we had to bring it. Back oh, of downstairs. course, you set it up and took yeah. it down every so week. Yeah, it came up and down. Wow. Uh, that, yeah. Now we're getting a picture yeah. of how much work that must have been. Yeah. So, so the necessity was then to find some space big enough to actually turn into a studio space, uh-huh. um, which the room that we're in at the moment isn't big enough to do. There's no way this could be a studio. Yeah. Um, and and a gallery at the same time, mm-hmm. and and traditionally with television, your gallery and your studio are always separated, um, so that you don't get any noise um, bleed through bleed through from one thing. Okay, yeah, so if the director's sense. screaming and shouting, you don't hear that in the studio. Yeah, or vice versa. Okay. So the, uh, uh, a space opened up on the fourth floor. Mm-hmm. We looked at it and we thought, yeah, we can. We, uh, can we work looked with it. This. We looked at it and we thought, oh my god, it's on the fourth floor, not on the second <laughs> floor. This is going to cause us some challenges. <laughs> mm. <laughs> well, we do like a little bit of separation between the two rooms. Two floors of separation yeah. is a little bit too much. It, it, but it, yeah. In a Victorian mill that's <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> not the easiest place to wire through. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we then set about turning uh, 405 on the fourth floor into a television studio. Um, but that all had to be linked for video, comms, mm-hmm. lighting, down to here so we could fully control it mm-hmm. and speak to presenters and guests and things like that, mm-hmm. which was a major undertaking, so there's lots of, lots of cabling. And um, when when did you start this process? This was about two two years ago, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, about okay. Two, two years ago. Okay. But uh, then we, we, we sort of went into lockdown, because mm-hmm. prior to that, we in the gallery, there were, there were two presenters plus occasionally a guest, uh, which was, you know, manageable, and we had four people in the gallery mm-hmm. running auto-queue, lighting, sound, that type of and thing. And a floor manager upstairs as yeah, well. Yeah, that type of thing. But when we went into lockdown, we had a commitment to the channels to keep Carry on going. On, yeah. mm. And whilst we had uh, some already recorded in the cam, mm-hmm. I think we are about three weeks ahead, uh, because a lot of the stuff is uh, stuff that we covered wasn't very wasn't topical. It was just of, mm. in, of interest. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, then had to think how on earth we could continue to produce a program. Because television is a is an ever hungry beast. Mm. Once you start feeding it, it just wants to be fed and fed and fed. Mm. You know, if you commit to doing a, a program fifty two weeks of the year, you have to deliver a program fifty two yeah. weeks of the year. Yeah. And that's it. We, we it is a, a weekly program. There's, yeah. there's no there's no, uh, no break in it. No all. break. We don't have a summer yeah. hiatus or no. anything. And also with something as a mass that massively affects the entire world, like the pandemic, you can't be seen to not be covering that. No. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we we had you know three weeks in in advance recorded. We we put together a couple of clip shows, but you can only do that for so so many episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we cried, cried, <laughs> got, got our, scratched our heads and got, screamed, and yeah. Uh, so we thought, right, we're we're 
we're not a an organisation which can throw a lot of money at, at things like mm-hmm. the BBC can. Yeah. Um, so we came up with some, some creative ways to get us through that pandemic using uh, uh, Zoom uh, 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 calls and people mm-hmm. in different locations, and it worked very well to get mm-hmm. us through the pandemic. We, we found ways of using it that it's probably not meant to be used. Yeah. What's, uh, what's your proudest hack? When it came to the pandemic and how to get your content out, what was, what's your proudest hack? I'd like to say getting the presenters used to using the technology. Because <laughs> that, that, that is actually quite a serious point. Yeah. It is a big step yeah. from somebody that's, that's confident standing in front of a camera and, and talking for, yeah. for an hour to somebody that's actually capable of plugging everything in and getting yeah. it working and, and making sure the mics are all connected up and yeah. getting the lighting right yeah. and, and getting a, a, a home studio yeah. built from scratch remotely without our input because you know all we could do was advise yeah, yeah. Um, from multiple locations and yeah. then yeah. bringing them all together yeah yeah in order so we can then put the program together yeah um and these are people which are usually not very technical at all mm-hmm. in fact not very technical at all is an understatement but that, yeah that's that's probably giving them a lot more credit <laughs> yeah. than the uh so yeah and it, it, it's it wasn't a case of just oh, open up your your laptop and we'll and just begin and begin yeah. mm. we wanted proper cameras there we wanted proper lighting mm-hmm. plus we wanted communications as well yeah. through earpieces which is a, it was a whole new level which you wouldn't normally have on a zoom call yeah so that's another you know three lines if you yeah. have three people together. and they still wanted you better to do things like play a piece of videotape so you know, um, that so, that had to we had to have a way of playing that from a central point out to all of the presenters, so that they would hear it without any time delays or anything yeah. like that, yeah. and could then re- react to it and respond to it all. It's, so yeah, it was technically a challenge. Yeah, but you did it. We, we did, did it. it. Yeah, we did it. Yeah, but it it, it sort of um, it pushes in a direction that we didn't think we were we were going to go, uh, and that was basically full automation and it's happened at a time that a lot of the technology now is uh, getting to that stage where everything can can be controlled over the internet remotely Mm. so we made the decision that you know if this happens again we need to be ready just to go into it straight Mm. away Uh, so we invested a lot of money in making uh, all our equipment um, uh, automated and one push will do several different. And one push of the button will do several several different things, and we can press that button from anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you, you know, you could change the lighting, bring a mic up, and change a camera setting while another camera is resetting. Mm-hmm. It's that sort of level of automation yeah. that, that, that we that that, we're, that we've implemented. There must have been a massive learning curve for you guys as well. Well, Not yeah, just the presenters, uh, but conti- like and continues to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. because yeah. Our, our background isn't networking, and a lot of this is networking. Right. Okay. We, we come from a very traditional background. I started in TVs back in the eighties, where videotape and all that sort of very analog. You know. Yeah, I, I came into it through the work, actually working for the police. Right. Okay. Uh, my, my my training was in um, graphic design and television. Right. Um, and then I got a job working for Cumbria Constabulary as a, a basically a scene of crime uh, videographer. Okay. So going out and filming all sorts of grisly things. Yeah. That you don't want to really be seeing on a Sunday morning mm-hmm. um, and then uh, I went sort of through an educational route making a lot of educational videos um, mm-hmm. worked for Durham University for a while uh, okay. doing educational videos and training for them um, when you said earlier networking what yeah. do you mean by that it's like 
so so the way that the um, the wires are connected now is through a router. Okay. Um, whereas we would take a wire from one piece of equipment and plug it into the back of another piece of equipment. Okay. Now you plug everything into a router, one wire up to the studio effectively, and then okay. come it then is is delivered out from that router to the various different devices. Yeah. So it's a different type of, of way of looking at distributing the uh, the information, the technology there. Yeah. It's very clever. Yeah. It's very complicated, mm -hmm. and it's, it, it, it was a big learning curve for, yeah. for us, but it is, uh, it's opened up a whole new world for us, yeah. uh, uh, for us particularly here, because, uh, as I said, Tune the Cud is just, it's just one program that we do. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we record three programs every fortnight, uh, and that gives us a little bit of space off, you know, if we need to uh, book in other people. But we use the stuff for doing, in, uh, use the studio for doing uh, interviews, um, all sorts of things up there. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess there's, there's kind of two sides to, to it, uh, well, three sides. Um, we have our social remit because we have continued to do the, to cover the worthy stories that, that are in the news that aren't getting covered. We still want to do that. Mm -hmm. um, we also have a lot of stories that we want to tell ourselves. So, some creative stuff that we, we've been um, developing. Uh, we'll talk a bit more about that. Um, and then, in order for us to be able to fund that side of things, there needs to be a degree of um, commercial work as well mm -hmm. to bring some money in, so that we can afford to do yeah. the worthy stuff. Yeah, the things that we, we, we started LGBTV yeah. and things that we were, you know, and still are passionate about. Mm -hmm. But but also to be able to offer people um, from the LGBT queer community. Uh, Access to this type of technology at a vastly reduced price. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we have a, a, well, two different business rates, if you like. You know, one for the stuff that we think is worthy, and the one for the stuff that we think is commercial work. Yeah. Um, so people in the mill will benefit from yeah. uh, you know a significantly reduced cost, um, and we want to carry on doing that. We think that's an important thing for us to be able to do because yeah. it, it fits very much into. Uh, the ethos of, of what we've always wanted this to be. Mm -hmm. So apart from Chewing the Cud, what are the other programs that you're currently producing? Well, at the moment we're just finishing off a uh, a, a, a dramatic piece which is uh, going on television hopefully this summer. Well, let's let's just talk a little bit about Jacob. Because um, I, yes. think, I think it's, it's, it's a good point to bring him in. Jacob was the other person that started this idea in the car with Dean um, and he developed an idea for a series of linked dramatic pieces that were all based around characters in the same street. Now one of those uh, uh, was a piece called Bed of Roses um, which I wrote up the, uh, screenplay. the screenplay from Jacob's idea because um, I've got quite a, uh, a background in creative writing so mm -hmm. I could take his idea and turn it into something um, which we filmed just before lockdown it was just before lockdown yeah and just started to edit it before lockdown and then lockdown happened and uh, um, we carried on working sort of remotely together with that over lockdown um, but as we came out of lockdown uh, we were hit with a tragedy in that uh, Jacob passed away very suddenly uh, and unexpectedly, um, you, you're probably better off. Yeah, um, I, I, I remember uh, the day like it was. It was only yesterday. I mean, it was only 
really just over two months ago. I, it was a, I found out on a Sunday, we just finished recording three programmes uh, in the mill. Um, and normally all phones are off during recording for obvious reasons. And when I got this, this message saying, can you give me a ring? And that was from Adrian. Uh, so when I got out, after a very, very long day mm. directing a, a, the recording of three programmes, it was uh, I was hit with the... Uh, well, I, had, I had to break the news to you that... Yeah, yeah that Jacob had passed away. We, um, and that was a, a real shock for us. It was a real blow for us personally and, real, and a real blow for us as a, an organisation. Mm. Because Jacob was... Whilst we're the, the sort of like the technical guys, we're the guys who plug things in and make things work, you know, uh, expand on the ideas. He was he was the ideas guy, wasn't he? He was the what would you say? He was the he was, he was the one that had the real um, DNA passion for um, queer advocacy, mm-hmm. you know, for for gay rights, for sexual health. Um, diversity, diversity all, all, of, all of that sort of thing mm. um, and he, he, his career was all based around that so we relied a lot uh, on his uh, input uh, for the uh, the ideas on what we think you know what he thought oh that this is a good thing to cover or mm-hmm. you know, oh, what, what about this idea mm-hmm. and then we'd flesh it out so it was a, it was a huge blow and um, but we've carried on um, developing those ideas Yes. So, so Better Roses is, is now edited just about. Yes. Um, and we're hoping to release that later this year. Um, that's a 45-minute piece. Um, it's a monologue, actually. It's a, a single um, single person okay. reads the whole thing. It's it's a little bit Alan Bennett-esque. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, that's the first in a uh, what was planned to be a series, mm. uh, all based around this fictitious seat, uh, uh, street mm-hmm. uh, where you know, people are twitching at curtains and looking, yeah. that type of thing. And we've got another two or three of those that are in development at the moment and we'll okay. hope to start filming some of those later this year. Okay, great. So, so that's an example of one of the, yeah. one of the things that's on the, on going at the moment. But uh, I mean, we've picked up a fair bit of work with residents of the mill as well, mm-hmm. um, which is something we're very keen on, on doing because that's us giving back to the mill in, in our, our own way. Mm. So, so for instance, um, recently we recorded all of, and I say, if I say all, I mean all, the Fat Out Fest. Yeah. Um, you know, um, major music festival mm-hmm. um, in what, effectively four different locations. Yeah. Um, uh, that was uh, that was that was a great festival to do. Mm. Um, prior to that, we although we we always felt at home at the mill. Um, because of the way the mill is structured, sometimes you don't always meet yeah. the people who are on the different floors or know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and that's because some people, you know, rent for a short period and then disappear. Or some mm-hmm. people slightly longer uh, stay for slightly longer. But it's um, that was a chance for us to sort of really get to know what the mill was about. Yeah. And it was such a such a pleasure to do mm. and so much fun. And um, I remember something like 300 hours worth of yeah. footage that we had to <laughs> cut down into a. <clears throat> yeah, I remember you guys were yeah. filming me when I was DJing. I DJed a yes. few times. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, and it was. It, a lot of the times when you work at an event, and it is because we 
covering back on his music promotion and like music performance and stuff. Mm. And when you get people to like, oh well, you do, do film a bit and like just do some for like socials and stuff like that, you get like you know ten fifteen minutes worth yeah. of like mm. until somebody's bored. Yeah. And they just like, oh, I just want to go dance now. But you guys were like constantly doing it all night. <laughs> yeah. Well, you you never know when that great shot is gonna come. Yeah. Uh, and coming from a, a, a broadcast background, you, you know you can be stood at one location, mm. and you'll get five. You'll get a five-second shot, which will just completely make the whole scene. Mm -hmm. So that's the that's where we were coming from when we were, we were doing and, and, that. And the piece that we were editing was going to be a very fast-paced, quick-cut piece. Mm. Um, so you need a huge variety of shots in that. Yes. You know, it, it just a just a thirty-second piece. You can get through yeah. hundreds of different shots. Yeah, um, if it's going at the real pace, I mean, it's just needed to be. How do you sift through three hundred hours worth of footage to do? I mean, how <laughs> how would you like? How I mean, uh, my, my my process was was basically because I I edited um, one of the two programs that we put together. Mm. So so my my process was uh, to, to scan it all, to watch it all through, mm. uh, and to mark the, the clips that I thought were useful, and then I make a short list of those clips. And then I short list the short list mm. until you eventually get down to um, what you think is the best clip. And then you'll look and say, well, is that it, does that clip say anything more than that clip? And if not, have we got a better one? And, and does it meet the brief? Does it meet the brief? Does it mm -hmm. do what we want it to do? Mm. Um, so it is a, a process of just discarding and discarding and discarding until you end up with the, the, the real nuggets of, of stuff that's interesting. Now, your piece was a different piece, the one that you were editing. Yeah, uh, that was... Uh Basically, just to record the uh, AJA set. Yeah. Uh, so. Aja. Aja. <laughs> uh, now that uh, we had uh, uh, three cameras on that, one on stage. Four, four cameras. Four cameras. Right. Okay. Four cameras. <laughs> four candles. Four candles. <laughs> um, so that was just to record it as it was happening. So that's more a documentary piece, just yeah. but recording the, the whole set. Yes. The live um, set. Yeah. Was it streamed? Did you have anything to do no. streaming? No, no, no. Uh, not, not this year. Not this year. Not Although this year. we have the capability to connect anywhere in the world. We've, we, uh, the, one of the, one of the uh, last uh, sort of uh, interesting pieces that we did, uh, news pieces, was with uh, a young man in Kenya, wasn't it? Yes. Uh, who was in one of the uh, uh, the camps there? Um, he was from Uganda. Uganda, yeah. Uganda, yeah. and he'd fled to Kenya, and they were being persecuted in this camp, and didn't know whether they were going to be sent back to Uganda. So we set up a live link between our studio on the fourth floor to him on a mobile phone, and we did an wow. interview. And we <laughs> we did that as a as a as a news piece, and we have that capability to be able to. It is really a little mini media city yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> the technology is exactly the same yeah. but on a much smaller uh, level yeah but the quality is exactly the same yeah and that's one of the beauties of technology it sort of leveled the playing field so, so to speak yeah uh, where you had, there was more of a uh, there's more of a distance between domestic productions and professional productions now it's got that that yeah. distance has got a lot closer. It was interesting what you were saying about having to train your presenters up to record themselves yes. and broadcast mm -hmm. themselves and not having to rely on anyone else to do that because when you look at mainstream news now, the aesthetic is like it's just people sat in their bedrooms mm. or in their little office with mm. like cats and children running around, <laughs> around them. And like when you think of what yeah. 
mainstream news was like before the pandemic, but even like say five years ago, it was all very, it was so professional and everything mm. had to be locked in and it mm. was all done with, they were establishing a very specific aesthetic that like, so you could recognize a different news channel by its, its, its mm. ticker tape and its stings yeah. and its logo and stuff like that. Yeah. But now you turn on the news and they've had to downgrade so much and the interviews, it means they can yeah. interview people directly as well now. And I think there's something about, I mean, I don't know, I think for me, for mainstream news, it's so, there is a, a language that they use like to articulate in mainstream news that's really alienating anyway. Mm -hmm. For me personally, I find, I don't think they've changed that up much, but it's a bit more humanizing when you see people sat in their office or sat in a, in a what looks like a kitchen or a yes. bedroom or just yeah. something where it's like a home yeah. or, and what it does is that it, 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 it again reminds you that the, wor the world is broader than what you're seeing through this specific news lens, yeah, but I also it's more common as well because everyone has a, well most people yeah, have a kitchen I, I think or you've a bedroom. Got a, or a much bigger breadth of people that are now appearing on news channels mm. that they're prepared to go and, and interview yeah. because you're not relying on the one guy that's free that day to come into the studio. Yeah, mm. exactly. You know, as you say, you can record them in the bedroom. And because everyone is, I mean this is a double-edged sword I guess, yeah. because the technology is so available and so easy for people to have, a lot more people can become interview subjects as well, yeah. which mm. you know can go either way or whatever. But um, yeah, Dean, you were you were talking about you're you're an old school. You said that you come from an old school. Yes. In that, I mean, was it like? I mean, first of all, how do you compare the technology now and then? But obviously, that that did you have a giant learning curve as well and a leap up in like, oh wow, you can do this now or? Um. Because I remember when I got my first smartphone. Hmm. Because I I went to I went to film school. So it's not something I've really carried on, but I did. I am trained in mm. film, and I remember when I got my first smartphone, and being like, "Oh my god, you can film on this!" Mm. And like, I don't even have to have a DV camera. Mm. I can film it on my phone. And then I got my first iPhone, mm. and I was like, "Oh my god!" And the stuff I film on this looks when the lighting is right mm. and it's done properly. Yeah. Wow! Almost broadcast quality. Mm. So it is boggling for me because like that was the late '90s when I went to uni, and talking about the technology then. Yeah, it was all video and stuff. Um, and now it's just like everyone can have it in the palm of their mm. hands. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm going to talk yeah. obviously. I'm going to just point out something you were doing then, um, yeah. which we notice all the time is you you made the sign of holding a camera and uh, you were holding it landscape. You're holding it long and thin rather than yeah. short and fat. Yeah. You will not get Dean or me under any circumstances ever, ever, ever to try and turn a phone the other way. Yes. Um, because it's yeah. it looks so bad on television. Yeah. Oh, so absolutely. there are still some standards that yes. have to be maintained. There are still some things you have to insist upon yeah. um, in order for that language still to work over television. Yeah, um, that's very true. Yeah. But having said that, being involved in new media, portrait format is very acceptable on the web. It, it, it is. is on the web. And especially yeah. for people who, and that's the other thing now as well, I feel, now that I'm thinking about this, the first thing is having a camera in a phone, so you're like, oh my god, I can film, like for mm -hmm. me, it's like, oh my god, I can film, I can make stupid little things with my friends, mm -hmm. um, but then once you actually start watching your media through your phone, mostly through your phone, especially socials, it's like, you know, you just hold it like that, so yes, portrait yeah. format is, is, is what's it, it, it's its own it. thing, and it's yeah. not, yeah. it's like, for TV it doesn't it, it work, is. but for phones, yeah, it's basically it the go-to now. And there is, there is a, a, a divergence now, I think, mm. that you're starting to see. Mm. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. Full disclosure, I don't like we don't have 
TV anymore. We don't have, we've got the iPlayer, but we rarely look at live TV and stuff. So I feel like... Same here. I feel like my <laughs> connection to what's actually being brought, like, mm. we still get all Netflix and, like, you know, and all the box sets and all the one-offs and all the documentaries and stuff like that. Still a lot of the content is there. But in terms of, like... You don't have events. You don't have television events. Yeah, you don't. And mm. just even just the kind of sitting there not knowing, like, doing that. And for the listeners, I'm doing the repetitive hitting the remote control yeah. thing that you do when there's just nothing coming on, nothing coming on, but you're constantly scrolling through the whatever amount of channels you have hoping that something's going to come on I just feel like is that culture gone now I think it has and um, there was there were certain things about that that sort of well in the age of sort of three or four and, and then five channels it, 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 there was something nice about having an event to uh, bring people together mm. <clears throat> All the um, family sitting around yeah. the television watching the same program and knowing that millions of other people in the country were doing the same thing. Yeah. The Mike Yarwood Christmas show. Yeah, yeah. Why is that so nice? Top of the Pops. Those yeah, things, top yeah. of the exactly. Pops. Yeah, absolutely. And Although know. that's probably going to alienate quite a lot of listeners <laughs> because Top of the Pops ended yeah. in. Yeah, when did that finish? 2005 <laughs> or something? Yeah. But then, of course, satellite TV came. And uh, then we've got a, an extra 16 channels. Mm-hmm. Not all, all of them good. Yeah, no. Um, but uh, obviously, and like even now, sixteen channels. <laughs> yes, I know. Yeah. Yes. Like sixteen times sixteen. So what, 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 that, what that has meant, though, is that um, stories can be told in whatever length of time the broadcaster wants. Mm-hmm. Whereas from from our background, mm-hmm. you told everything in, you know, to fit in a thirty-minute time slot yeah. or a sixty-minute time slot. Yeah. Or, for, for, or, for example, the yeah. the bed of roses. We've specifically. Uh, edited it into mm. 11 minute four part sections so mm. it fits into 44 minutes commercial television time slot yeah. which, which allows time hour. for your adverts yeah. Yeah. Um, although we can you know, extend that for a, you know, a streamed mm-hmm. uh, cut of it if we, if we want to but, mm. that's, but you've, you've always got to think about those sort of things well you know, if we want this to go to a, a big TV audience as well then we've got to sort of make it fit for yeah. TV, yeah. Um, but you take something like I know, Star Trek that's that's being filmed now for television. Mm-hmm. Those episode lengths will be whatever length they need mm-hmm. to be. Yeah, you know they'll be round about somewhere between forty minutes and an hour and ten, yeah. something like that. To yeah, yeah. So it's it has changed the way stories are being told as well. Yeah, yeah. We just watched Inventing Anna on Netflix, yeah. which I really enjoyed, but it did begin to drag towards the end, and we realised that first half they're all coming in at 57 to 59 minutes long mm-hmm. and then we were checking the length and like the last episode is like 80 something minutes yeah and, and it's just like but that is a, and it is kind of what you were saying about editing it to that format i think when you put those restrictions on it, it you have to be more creative you have to get exactly the points in and yeah. the stuff like we were getting really bored of that anna story by the last two episodes yeah because they were very padded out and it was just like the emotional resonances weren't hitting home as much I don't think anyway in my in my but I, th- I thought it was a good show and I definitely recommend watching it mm. but it is interesting what you're saying and it's like mm, when you work to restrictions like that you have to really get to the point and really kind of like hone what it is that you're trying or to you say. end up with another 20 minutes of a story that you've got to pad out to fill yeah you know, it can work the other way you know, it's yeah a, it's a double-edged sword yeah very much yeah um, but yeah it's changed the way the way yeah. stories are being told as But going mm. back to your, your initial question about technology, mm. so when I started out, uh, my first job was to, uh, on one inch 
videotape, the big spools. How do you get back to his one each tape? <laughs> and just spooling up there and mm. making it all ready for someone to record or to play out. Yeah. Uh, I then moved on to camera operation, uh, VT operation. I did every job. I wanted to be an all-rounder mm -hmm. because it was at the time that everything was sort of like moving away from the unionised times of independent television. Um, and I started off at, at Yorkshire Television and then moved over to Granada. And people were all saying, oh no, no, freelance is the way to go. And if you're going to be freelance, you need to really mm. be a, a, a jack of all trades. You, you, you cannot specialise in one particular uh, uh, particular thing. Now that's, that's a good thing and that served me well through my career going in, in the 90s and in the 2000s. Uh, and when we came to, to set up uh, LGBTV because it, mm -hmm. may, it, it meant I had an, an all-round view of what was needed for television. Mm -hmm. um, I settled in engineering but I knew, I knew everything from cameras to you know to directing and all the rest of it. And so it's, it, it's, it makes a lot of difference if the person that's filming it understands what the editor is going to need. Yeah. You know that makes a huge mm -hmm. difference. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, we work quite well with that, mm. um, you know, because we do, I mean, generally Dean does a lot of the filming and I do a lot of the editing, mm -hmm. but, but we will swap around, you know, if we've got a two, three camera shoot, mm -hmm. then, then we'll, you know, we'll both be out with cameras, mm. um, but we both understand what's needed at the end so that we can yeah. make sure we've got the shots for it, and that's, yeah. you know, but that's, that's but a good thing. That's, that's a, it's, together, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a really good thing. And as technology has, uh, has changed over the years, I, w I was always very keen at adopting the latest technology. Yeah. I was the first one to have a sat nav. Mm -hmm. I was the first one to have a, a smartphone. Mm. Um, so I've always been, you know, quite early in the adoption of new technology. First person in your village have a wheel. <laughs> yeah. yes. Not that old. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then we go to where. You know everything is uh, networked now. You know IP addressed and things like that, which has not traditionally been my uh, my level of expertise, and that neither has it been hmm. Adrian. So that's that's where the learning curve has come from mm -hmm. uh, for us, um, because that is relatively new to everyone. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is another fundamental difference in that everything is smaller. And therefore, everything is lighter. Well, I was you know? I was going to ask you about what is your favourite thing about these changes to, to technology and modern technology. You can get cameras in places you could never have put them before. Yeah. Um, and you can get as good quality from a matchbox-sized GoPro as you can from you know the sort of studio cameras that we were used to carrying around. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I mean, I remember carrying a, a camera with a separate video recorder. So you'd have, you know, one great big suitcase on and separate your sound recorder and a separate sound recorder. Yeah. Um, whereas now it's in your mobile phone. All mm -hmm. of those things can be done in your mobile phone mm -hmm. with with even better quality mm -hmm. than could have been done in the past. So, mm -hmm. yeah, the reduction in size of of equipment is is wonderful. But also the broadcast standards have, have, have increased yes. as well. So whilst it's, you know, domestically you can get these things uh, into a small uh, box or phone, uh, the, the quality of that broadcasters want has, has, has increased, obviously. Uh, but as I said, through, through the lockdown there was a sort of like a lowering of that bar. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, uh, with uh, accepting interviews through Zoom and Skype and mm -hmm. things like that. And that has now become the new norm. Yeah. 
personally, I don't. I don't like it. Normally, yeah. you would have sent out a camera crew uh, with a, an SNG uplink yeah. uh, back to the studio, uh, satellite uplink, uh, and it would be you know good pictures and all the rest of it. Mm. Picture picture quality is not really the issue with me on on those sorts of interviews. Okay. It's always sound. Okay. Sound is usually yeah. always terrible on those types of interviews. Mm-hmm. You can follow a story if you don't see the pictures. Mm-hmm. But you can't follow a story if you don't have the sound up. Yeah, usually when when people do those interviews, it, the, the sound is is echoey. Mm-hmm. It's it's over modulated. Mm-hmm. It's just it just sounds really bad. Mm-hmm. And whilst you can put up with a, a slightly overexposed picture or a slightly pixelated picture, the ear mm-hmm. is much less forgiving to mm-hmm. to sound imperfections. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's one of the things which I think lets those types of remote inputs to news organisations and, and chat shows and things down. Yeah. And, I, and I think one of the, the other things that will happen there is because people's attention span is much less now than it used to be, mm-hmm. um, as soon as you get a, a barrier to your understanding what's being shown to you on screen, you switch off. Yeah. You know, um, it doesn't take much for someone no. to, to click that button mm-hmm. or to you know, change channel. Yeah. Um, so, so f- for us, we want to make sure we we maintain the quality throughout everything we do, sure. Wh- whether that's a you know a, a two minute podcast for somebody that that is only a one camera thing that's that's very small, mm-hmm. through to you know a, a five HD camera television studio program. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if we go back to our uh, is- <coughs> our issue during lockdown, where we mm-hmm. had to come up with technical means to produce the uh, Chewing the Good program, all remotely. Pictures weren't the problem. The problem was, and it usually is in television, it's sound, mm-hmm. communications and good quality sound. Mm-hmm. So we uh, we decided the best way to do this, because we were recording, it wasn't a live program, it was recorded, but we recorded it as live and cut it as live. Um, we decided that we would record all audio from all the sources into a, a central location and then from good quality mics and then we just sync those up in post-production mm-hmm. so it meant that the audio was studio quality yeah which you could not get due to the bandwidth speed yeah over traditional zoom calls and things like that and that means equipping all the people that you're who are doing the filming for you with Broadcast quality, quality mics, mics uh, and, and cameras. Lo- local onboard recording. Yeah, yeah. Which I feel like cameras are quite. I don't know. Feel quite instinctive. I think, but sound is a different thing. It is. Yeah. Sound. It is. Yeah. yeah. It is. And I mean, come on. <laughs> one of the presenters that we work with and have been working with since the start of doing the cut still can't put a time mic on properly. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I hope the sound quality of this podcast is good enough. <laughs> well, well, that's one of the things that people always forget. You know, it is it is a very visual uh, medium, mm-hmm. but sound is so important. Mm-hmm. If you if you don't get the sound right, people will notice and yeah. they'll they'll, they'll criticise it. Yeah, and it is the thing. Like from my point of view, what I said when I was first like, oh, I've got a camera on my phone, I can mm. film stuff. Mm. It's like, oh, and it sounds shit. Yeah, <laughs> like I would need a full audio suite. Yeah. yeah to actually get the sound to make something that I would be happy with in terms of because for me personally like as a musician and someone who does sound it's a big and I love it when that care and detail about sound is taken in visual media because it's so subtle but it is one of the things that really sells it um, 
So yeah, and like, just thinking about the tiny little microphone on my phone when I was first started, like, what, seven or eight years ago when I got my first kind of Nokia that had a camera on it, and it was just like, mm. it's only visual, really. It really is only visual. Even stuff like gigs and wanting to get a little, and it's like... Yeah. It's just like... If, if it's ten seconds on TikTok, mm-hmm. people will cope with it. Yeah. You know, you can bear, bear that, but you couldn't cope with that for And I will say in my defence, mm. to preemptively defence any problems that we might have with the sound <laughs> which sounds fine in the headphones, but... I feel like in the world of podcasting, people are a lot more forgiving of not glitches, but different sound worlds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and like so, for instance, in here we are, and there I can hear that the fans and they're they're going to be running under this interview yeah. as a mm-hmm. sound bed. Could try and maybe try and rephase them, but I think that might like phase it out. But I think if that screws with the actual audio quality of the voices that we're listening to, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think that people who listen to podcasts. As long as it's clear and audible and it's not glitchy, it's fine. There, you know, it is that thing of of audio verite. It was like, well, I took my stuff to your studio and recorded mm. it well, that's live it's, it's in authentic. the studio. Yeah, it's authentic. And you're getting an authentic sound. Whereas with, with TV and visual and sound, when there's the, that disconnect, it kind of breaks you out of the oh, what, like the spell of what you're watching, and it's like, oh, I don't know, this isn't working. That's it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I mean, when I'm watching television programs and I'm engrossed, that is all I'm aware of, is mm-hmm. that television program. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll speak from, from an editor's point of view now. Mm. Um, one of the, the best and worst things about being an editor is if you do your job properly, no, nobody notices. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that really brilliant edit that you got mm-hmm. timed absolutely perfectly, that you're really proud of. Yeah should not be noticed and should not be noticeable yeah and that's when you know it's you've an done your job it's an art form it, mm, absolutely yeah. as is your sound recording mm-hmm. you know you yeah. get it right people don't appreciate it but if you get it wrong <laughs> yeah that's when they know yeah. Yeah. yeah like it is interesting actually now that you mention that I noticed on when it was in that last episode of Inventing Anna which we just finished Friday um, and there's a bit where her lawyer and her are really coming to blows in the cell so they're just like screaming at each other and I just noticed from the the edit, I was just like, oh, they're using one take of his dialogue and then they're editing back and forth to her. But I'm beginning to notice that it's out of sync with what he wasn't saying that line. Yeah. Yeah. Even though it's the back of his head yeah. and you yeah. can't see his you, mouth. You can kind of tell, tell someone from the body language yeah, yeah. Yeah. and stuff. And it was very subtle and it didn't ruin it or anything, but it was like, ah. Oh, that editor was pressed for that. But for that like, moment, you've been taken out of enjoying the fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but the majority of people don't notice that. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, I like I'm a bit of a geek about this. And like yeah. I said, I trained up in film yeah. and TV, so I know that, that. And it doesn't pull me out of the fantasy. I don't mind it that much mm. as well because something like that, inventing Anna, was like it ended up being like a ten-hour thing. Mm. So there was a lot of work for that crew to get through for that, and that kind of subtle thing that I don't think anyone else in the room noticed it. Mm. And personally, for me, I'll forgive that because then, it's very might, subtle. But yeah, they might not have noticed it overtly but subliminally they may well have done true yeah Um, and it's those little messages that can put people off things and make them not want to come in or tune into the next episode I don't necessarily know why they've not enjoyed a programme but it's those things that can all add up in in an episode but I think that's probably because you uh, you said you you trained at film Mm. school I mean obviously we're from a broadcast background as well so we're really tuned into those little you know imperfections Mm. Mm -hmm. um uh, my partner, 
uh, has said to me, you've broken television for me. He says, because we can't watch a programme without you saying, oh, that was a bad edit. Oh, that was mm. a little bit overmodulated. Mm. Oh, that oh, they were a bit late on that cut. Mm. He says, it's, it's just that like I cannot enjoy television now. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> because you, you see it from a completely different angle when you work in the business. Yeah. So any, you know, so when you do get something which is superb, like as you say, you mm. know, something you really enjoy it, uh, then you really appreciate it if you're from uh, a broadcast background or a mm. media background but it also means that you notice those little imperfections as well and now that I think about it and I'm thinking about this and it's coming to me in my head I think that's why I love the combination of music and vi and visuals so much because when I think of like the f my favourite scenes from films that have like a montage scene with a specific song over the top it is breaking that fantasy in terms of realism mm. and it's making certain things about the artifice of what is happening very visible and apparent to the audience but in certain cases especially with like music based edits and montages and stuff like that the the audience loves it because it's going you're taking them yeah. somewhere with your art mm. and then you come out of that scene and you just go into a dialogue scene where it needs to become absolutely invisible again mm. yeah. and I suppose with all things you can deliberately break the rules if you want to, to ha achieve a certain effect as well Mm. You know, I mean, a, a typical example of the way that was done was um, the Blair Witch Project, mm -hmm. which deliberately mm -hmm. had bad shots and bad edits yeah. and to create a feeling of um, discombobulation. You yeah. know, it made you feel un uncomfortable with what you were watching because yeah. it was cut the way it was cut. Yeah. Hmm. Do you have any favourite montage or like scenes yourself? Oh, yeah. What are you watching, what at, the watching moment, at the moment that we're, that we're enjoying? Um, my my favourite piece of, of film ever is in Midnight Express, okay. which, which I just think is an incredible film. Mm. Um, and there's a, a very uh, homoerotic scene of two characters um, doing yoga. And it is just beautifully shot. Mm. And it is so erotic, but there isn't, there's no actual sex that goes on at mm -hmm. all it is just lovely and really nicely shot mm. but, very, very but, I'm a, but I'm a puff and I like seeing <laughs> naked bodies <laughs> now, I'm, fr I'm more from a news background mm -hmm. so I've, I've really been enjoying the uh, the morning show on, on the Apple platform oh, okay. uh, with uh, Jennifer Aniston uh, starring that and that's more about a morning show and all the politics oh it's a drama that's the drama okay yes. Yeah, it's the, it's the politics and all the, the yeah. Me Too movement which is going on and all that sort of thing, yeah. um, which which does happen uh, in television. All that so everyone thinks it's 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 nice and clean and mm. perfectly polished, but there are, there are characters behind the scenes and there are egos mm. behind the scenes. A mm. lot of egos. I'd actually ask who believes that anymore because I think there's so much media about like <laughs> dodgy people, like this inventing Anna thing has got kind of like. I don't know, maybe it is because I've been trained up in it, but it's like, there's agendas going on. Everyone's got an agenda. And it's like, oh, what's their agenda? What's their agenda? Even if their agenda's to look good yeah. and nice. But that. yes, I did, I did watch the invention. I've just finished mm. watching that. that mm. It was very, very good. It's based on a true story, mm. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So which, true. Which, which, okay, there was some... They do uh, openly admit that there are, there are some... Yeah. <laughs> but, Lies. We, but we actually looked into what they had faked in it, and... 90% of the story is true yeah and they've just compressed I think two characters mm. into one at the start mm. which was her initial boyfriend I think mm. I don't think that person is real 
but it's a combination of a few different people when she was on her way up. Yeah. But um, yeah, very good. I did feel that I did feel that it dragged mm. towards the end, and it could have it could have done with being trimmed. I think, but it's and she's an incredible actress as well. Yes. Like I, was, I, mean, she, I thought, she, thought all the acting was great. I thought yeah. everyone was great. She was she was in the other program. What was what was that uh, about the, the drug program? She was she was dealing drugs. What's it called now? Yeah. I do know she's in Ozark. Ozarks. That's yeah. the one. Yeah, yeah. I've not, not watched it. Yeah, she 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 plays a completely different character. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't think. Yeah. Actually, so, so that proves the range of that character. It's yeah. absolutely superb. Well, I'll, I'll give you an example of somebody breaking the rules in a way that mm-hmm. I, that worked and worked mm-hmm. so well that I got it when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And that's um, the Morecambe and Wise show with Angela Rippon, yeah. where <laughs> she was reading the news and then all of a sudden breaks into dance mm-hmm. because it's completely breaking the fourth wall, not mm-hmm. what you expect to happen. Mm-hmm. You suddenly see it all. That all the mm-hmm. all the magic of of news is destroyed mm-hmm. when you know she appears from behind the desk because newsreader's legs are never yeah, shown. I actually think that was used in when I went to when we were doing TV at film school as a, like this is how to break the fourth wall, yeah. but have a point to saying it. Yeah. My favourite thing of that is do you have the day to day. Yes, Chris Morris comedy yeah. when they do war. Yes. And suddenly, <laughs> what do you think, Minister? That's it. It's a war, and suddenly the set changes, yeah. and it's yeah. like he's made a war happen, <laughs> yeah. escalate from just this disagreement, yeah. and suddenly it's a war, and like the style, everything changes. That was very much ahead of its time. It was brilliant. I think the guy's a, I think he's a genius. Mm-hmm. We actually did a thing, it was in 2014, we did a screening downstairs when that was still an event space, and it would have been 20 years after Day Today was originally broadcast. It was broadcast in 94, I believe. Um, and we did um, we just showed all six episodes in one go Mm. so it was like a three hour screening with a break in the middle and we'd been doing screenings of other things up to that point but that one was really busy and Mm. it was just like it was so lovely to see that many people come out just as kind of not closet because it's not something that people hide but I don't think a lot of people really talk about it but then people love that show and I absolutely Mm. love it's probably my favourite TV show ever Mm. because what I feel is so good about it it didn't treat me like an idiot it was like I'm going to assume you're clever. I'm yes. going to assume you get this. Yeah. And it was just like yes, I do. And it was also really, really funny. So yeah, that's kind of yeah. I love now that you mentioned Angela Rippon and some of the day-to-day things. Very educational as well as mm-hmm. that. Like, oh, that's how the news works. That's <laughs> what. Yeah. yeah. So. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of what we do. Yeah. Yeah. That's the magic we try and bring to. Yeah. You did. The is there a third show? You've talked about chewing the cud. Bed of Roses, and I think so. There was was there something else just to get a name drop in there? If anybody wants um, to check out, we've got oh, a, we, do, we, do, we we did a very important piece actually, which is more really just as a uh, to document what was happening in Manchester's Canal Street. We did that about two years ago, called Paradise Lost. Uh, it was a documentary where we interviewed uh, politicians, uh, developers, ca- developers, it, it, councillors. It was, it was looking at the way. Um, Vast swathes of land around Canal Street had been sold off to big development, yeah. and and questioning how that would change the nature of, of the gay village in Manchester. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, we went out and, and interviewed lots of people. Is that like in production or is it finished? Yeah, it's it's finished. It's finished. finished. That's, that's that's where can that. where can we find that? That's on our, uh, on our web uh, yep, page or YouTube LGBTV.co.uk okay. or on YouTube. LGBT, it's on YouTube. Yeah. LGBTV cool. Manchester. Um, that. 
went out on on television as well. Mm -hmm. So that was a, a really nice piece for us. Mm -hmm. But um, as I say, we're, we're just finishing off Bed of Roses. That's now in colour grading and just sorting out some uh, some sound issues. Uh, and then hopefully we can start on the uh, the other uh, parts of that uh, drama. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we're probably going to be covering uh, Manchester Pride's uh, parade at live uh, with uh, we did it about three years ago we did a live OB which mm. is a big undertaking for an organization such as us yeah. you know, a five camera outside broadcast yeah. with with radio cameras in the in the field two reporters it mm -hmm. was a big radio ambition yeah. it was a, it was a big undertaking so obviously that we haven't been able to do that for the last two years yeah. uh, but hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll do that this year but we're, but we're kind of hoping that things like Fat Out Fest Mm -hmm. Will allow us to get a bit more involved in in some of the things and that are in the, in the mill, yeah, yeah. Um, and potentially um, live stream those. I mean, we're starting yeah. discussions about the possibility mm -hmm. of live streaming some of these events. Yeah. Maybe not all of it, but you know, key performers or yeah, you know, uh, or even having sort of uh, sort of like a studio based uh, set where people can talk and then linked mm -hmm. to a remote. Outside mm -hmm. broadcast, yeah, which you know we have the capability to do a bit, yeah, yeah. almost a bit like the Olympics, where you say, "Oh, now we go over to, you'd see the bobsleighing or something like that." Mm -hmm. we yeah, we yeah. Go, we now we go over to Unit Four. Yeah, and yeah. We're, we're, we're going to be listening to this but, particular. But that sounds that amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't so mean that everything has to be a big production. Yeah. You know, I mean, we. we we'll, we'll even do. We, we hire equipment out. We or lend equipment half the time. Mm -hmm. Um. For, for somebody that wants to do a performance piece and doesn't have the lighting yeah. or that, that wants some projections yeah. some projectors um, so we try to help yeah, we, wherever, we wherever we possibly yeah. can mm -hmm. which goes, goes back to that social remit, remit idea that started it off in the first place yeah mm. but ultimately you know we you know we we need to make enough money to keep up with the technological demands mm. that this sort of operation uh, requires uh, but uh, so we always try to work within people's budget. They'll say, "Oh, we, I've got 150 pound, or 600 pound, or a thousand pound. What can I get for that? Can I actually do this for that?" And we'll, we'll sort of like work out how we can do it, or mm. you know, or throw in ideas that they might have not might not have thought of. Because if you don't come from a television background, there are there are things you just don't don't yeah. occur to you. Yeah, that you I could mean, do. we've had a. Uh, I must admit, we've had a lot of help from. Some some really really nice people here at the mill, and and that's where that that family feel comes from. Mm -hmm. yeah. the, that that feel that you know it does feel like home. Ever since we our first game here in 2016, uh, Greg Thorpe for a, for example is is has been really really good to us. Uh, Jess well, Coulson, I mean, yeah, Bill. As, Bill. as let us drill holes through his floors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. yeah, go ahead. Mm. You want to do yeah. this? Yeah, Jess. Um, who else? Emma. Emma. Yeah. She's yeah, yeah. she's yeah, such Emma an inspiration. Too. She. I mean, she's she's got wind. <laughs> she, she is. Yeah. Yeah. Where does that yeah. energy come from? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's just to name a, a, a few. But we, we we've sort of in the past been right at the end of the second floor and people have not really known what we've, we've been doing. Yeah. You don't tend to walk past the end of the corridor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been walking past four or five every day since yeah. for over a year. Yeah. yeah. And there have been times, like I have, like you invited me in today to yeah. have a look, which is lovely, because there's been so many times I've been picking and like, wow, what is in there? <laughs> and even when the yeah. doors only open a tiny crack, yeah. what you can see is these kind of like, LED, like red and blue LEDs and yeah. green LEDs and just like, 
Oh, it looks like some kind of grotto in there. Yeah. Like, what's in there? And that's that's the thing. On camera, it looks a lot bigger than what it, yeah. it, it actually is. It's a very small room. It's, what, uh, three metres by about six, six like metres? Yeah. yeah. But uh, on camera, there's five There's five uh, uh, pan-tilt zoom cameras in there and, and uh, auto-cue and all the rest of it and sound and lighting mm. rig. Uh, it looks a lot bigger on screen yeah, because I mean, you don't see it, that fourth yeah, wall. To the yeah. viewer, it looks like you've probably got a dozen cameras in there. Yeah, mm, yeah, yeah. They're not. They're cameras that we can reposition and get yeah. different shots. And one thing I will say, just sat in here doing this yeah. interview with you guys right now, it's much warmer than <laughs> most of the studios <laughs> yes. in here. Yeah, we, gener we do generate a lot of heat. <laughs> yes. yes. That's right. mainly yeah. from the huge rack of, yeah, right of networking <laughs> and computers that we have to, to, to run all this. It's unplanned benefit. It just yeah. keeps it nice and toasty. Mm. But okay, that's brilliant. Um, one final thing, just tell the listeners where best to find you and to watch your stuff. Well, if you want to find us physically, we're usually... <laughs> uh, at on the, on the on the second floor at two oh nine, just pop in. If you want to have a look at the uh, the gallery, then just come and have a look. Mm -hmm. uh, if you want to go up and have a look at the studio, then we can arrange that. It's a bit difficult at the moment because we're mm -hmm. of all the of all the uh, the building work which and is going on. Uh, so we're going through a little bit of negotiation as how we can fit all that in. So we're, we're always welcome to just people coming in and just chatting and just saying, oh, I've got this idea, what, mm. can you help with this? Uh, or you can just go to our website, www.lgbtv.co.uk. And that's got links to the YouTube channel and yeah. so on in there and, and telephone numbers and things yeah. like that. So if we're not in here, people can still contact us. And just that. just so I have it on record, what is the YouTube as well? Is it LGBTV? LGBTV Manchester. Manchester, okay. We've got YouTube on our telly, so that's how we'll watch it as well. <laughs> There's lots of stuff on there. Lots of stuff from our early days. Okay. And some of the some of the latest stuff yeah, as well. Yeah, we'll certainly look for Paradise Lost. Mm. Mm. But although Katrina could won't be on there because that's actually a separate channel. Okay, right. We basically provide facilities for that television that production, so you know, the, produ the production company have come to us and said we want to do this show. Initially, mm. it, sta it started off as just a podcast, yeah. mm. but then it because yeah. it then went to to television, mm -hmm. it got separated yeah. and said, okay, we'll do the facilities, mm -hmm. we'll organise all that, we'll provide the studio. But we um, don't develop content. We'll, we'll advise sometimes for that show. Yeah, um, oh, for the show. For that yeah. show, you know. But we, we don't really care what what we're filming. <laughs> you know, we'll we'll film whatever they want to do. If they want to mm -hmm. get up to hijinks in the studio, we'll record it for them. Mm -hmm. um, or we can advise on content as well. Yeah. You know, but for that one, we don't. Yeah. And as, you, as we said, we generate our own content too. Yeah. All rounders. Yeah. Indeed. We, we try. We try to be. Mm -hmm. so. Right. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah.